0: Well, today, we come to the climax of the story of Joseph, and uh, as Lori was reading that segment of Genesis 45, I thought, what a, what a tender scene there with, with he and his brothers, and what a hope-giving story of grace and forgiveness this is. You know, I got to thinking, I wonder why God included this story in his word in the Bible for us to read, and I thought of several things The first is big God theology. There's no doubt in my mind that God wants us to view him as big. Amen? He is a big God. And Joseph's story shows us a God who is big enough to orchestrate all kinds of events, even human sin and suffering, to accomplish his plan. He's a big God. As John Piper has often said, when God is doing one thing, he is doing a thousand things. And I hope your view of God has been enlarged as you've watched the life of Joseph unfold. And then I think he included this story in the Bible to grow our faith, don't you? Christianity is a, a religion of faith, and I believe God wants to increase our faith in his wisdom and his power through knowing this story of Joseph. Many of you have told me that God is doing that work in you of growing your faith as you have been listening and learning. This story encourages us that God's people can trust God's sovereignty to accomplish God's plans in God's timing for God's glory, even when we don't understand all that is happening around us. And then third, I believe this story is in the Bible because like every other story, it points us to Jesus Christ. We've seen how Joseph foreshadowed another highly favored son who would come on the scene and be betrayed and sold in order to secure life for his brothers and sisters. And so Joseph's story shows us God working to preserve the family line that Jesus would one day come from. And so I believe the ultimate hero of Joseph's story isn't Joseph, but it's Jesus Christ. Well, with that in mind, I I believe the Lord has orchestrated things to bring us here today to a very important application of Joseph's story to our own. Think about it. Joseph forgave his betrayers, didn't he? He forgave his brothers who had abused him and mistreated him. Like Jesus would also do centuries later, Joseph came to a point where he forgave those who had abandoned him and sold him down the road, refused to hold their offenses against them. The passage Lori just read gives us Sufficient evidence to believe that Joseph was a man whose heart had been changed by the grace of God. His heart was a forgiving heart to the point where he was able to let it all go and actually treat his brothers with favor and with blessing. I want you to know that one of the reasons God has you here today sitting in church is because it is time for you to forgive also. It is. It's time for you to forgive those who have hurt you, abused you, sinned against you, just like Joseph did. And what we're going to discover today in his story is going to help you do that. What we see at this climactic point in Joseph's story is a beautiful picture of what I like to call grace-fueled forgiveness. What I want us to see is six signs of a forgiving heart, a heart that has been touched by grace, and really, these are ways that you can know that you've really, truly, fully forgiven someone, okay? So you can pull the study guide out of your worship folder. You can follow along. And the first thing we see is that Joseph, in that moment, that tender moment with his brothers, resists broadcasting their sin, their offense, to other people. The scene, as I said, is, is one that's filled with emotion. It's, it's intense, You might recall from last weekend, Judah, the fourth oldest son, had just stepped forward and offered himself to be Joseph's lifelong servant in place of his brother Benjamin. Remember that from last week? Demonstrating sacrificial love both for Benjamin but also for his father. That loving act of substitution and sacrifice triggered something in Joseph, deep inside of him, it was like opening the floodgates and Joseph cannot contain his emotions any longer. Now is the time for him to finally reveal who he is to his brothers. But what does Joseph do first? Verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. What does he do first? He sends everybody else out of the room. Why? Well, I'm sure he didn't want to have all of his attendants see him dissolve into a blubbering mess. That's probably part of it. But I think there's something deeper also, something less uh, less self-focused. I believe what this reveals is that Joseph's heart here is to conceal their offense from other people. Because he knew that was going to come out in the conversation. In his book, Total Forgiveness, R.T. Kendall agrees with me. Actually, it's probably the reverse. I agree with him. He says that by first sending everybody else out of the room, Joseph was not only not letting anybody else know what they had done to him, but he was ensuring that they could not know. And that is one of the proofs that one has totally forgiven. It's true, isn't it? When we're, when we're hurt, when we're angry at the person who has abused us for what they did to us, We're often inclined to try to punish them by telling someone else about the terrible thing that they did, right? It gives us some sort of twisted pleasure to think that others share our view of that horrible person. Joseph would have none of that. For 20 years, God had been working in his heart, a work of grace. And God had brought him to a place where he actually wanted to hide his brother's offense from other people, to keep it concealed, not to shout it from the rooftops. And that's one way you know that God is changing your heart. You don't want others to know what they did to you. In fact, you find yourself wanting to protect their reputation, not tarnish it. That is a work of the grace of God in your heart, amen? A second evidence of Joseph's changed heart Is his desire to dissolve the fears that his brothers had once they realized who they were standing before and to restore closeness. That's what a forgiving heart does. Verse 3 Joseph said to his brothers, picture the scene now I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. Now, one interesting thing about this scenario is, is Joseph was prime minister now of Egypt, and he actually had the power to punish his brothers, right? They're there standing before him. He's got all the, all the power, you know, it's one thing to think that we're penalizing someone uh, for what they did to us. It's another thing to actually have the power to make their life miserable. And Joseph had that power. Maybe there was a time in his life when he would have been eager to take revenge on them. Man, if I ever see those guys again, they're going to pay. But there's none of that now. That's all long gone. Instead, he wants to put their hearts at rest and really assure them, I- I'm no threat to you. You're, you're not in danger here. Notice the tenderness of his plea. Hey, guys, come, come close. What's that about? Well, I think it's he wanted them to get a closer view of his face. It is me. I'm Joseph. You know, people change in 20 years, right? Look at your pictures from 20 years ago. <laughs> it's like, I'm Joseph. It's me. See? <laughs> but I also think he wanted to help them see in his face his heart's desire you know what's in your heart shows on your countenance right I think he wanted them to see his tender love for them come close come close not get away from me come close not you better grovel at my feet if you want to live come close not I told you jerks that you'd bow down before me one day <laughs> just please come close another evidence of a heart that's been changed by grace. Don't be afraid. Guys, I'm not out to hurt you. It's in my heart for us to be close. That's an evidence of a changed heart. He exemplified a third evidence of a forgiving heart by seeking to make it easier for them to forgive themselves. That's how you'll know that you've fully forgiven someone when you want to make it easy for them to forgive themselves for what they've done. Verse four, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I wonder what he saw in their faces. Beating themselves up. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I read about a pastor up in Michigan who last December there was a home invasion. An intruder broke into his house with a knife and stabbed him 37 times. He was so carved up that he basically had to hold his insides in place while he crawled over to his neighbor's porch to get help. When the police finally got there, he was so bloodied up, they couldn't tell whether this was a male or a female The perpetrator was eventually caught, he was charged, the evidence was indisputable, and this pastor, his name is Kevin, Pastor Kevin, had the opportunity with his testimony to influence the judge to get rid of that evil man forever. But instead, Kevin felt a strange sensation arising in his heart. He felt the inclination, instead of seeking retaliation, to actually forgive the guy, Who'd done this to him? And a reporter asked him, why? And he said, well, I've been forgiven for so many things that I've done in my life. I want to do the same for him. Instead of being consumed by bitterness and resentment for what had happened to him, he ended up visiting the guy in prison regularly, trying to share the love of Christ with him. Pastor Kevin was as surprised as anybody by this inexplicable desire he felt rising up within him to actually bless his attacker and shower favor upon him. Joseph had that, didn't he? No desire to retaliate, no desire to pay back, to get even. That didn't make much sense, really. I mean, sure, these were his brothers, but they were the guys who had hated him, who had despised him, abandoned him, sold him. Remember back when they threw Joseph into the pit, it says in the Bible that he was crying out to them, guys, don't do this to me. But their hearts were so hardened and callous, they paid no attention. I imagine that even when they sold him to the Midianite merchants and those guys were packing him up on their camels and beginning to head off down the road, I imagine he was still wailing. Guys! But their hearts were not moved Now, 20 years later, with them cowering before him, wouldn't he see this as the ideal opportunity to get back at them? It's payback time, and i got the power to do it. Wouldn't he want to settle the score and rub their faces in their guilt? Truth is, Joseph already knew that they felt plenty guilty about what they had done. Remember, back on their first visit to him, this is their second visit, on their first visit to him, in his presence, they bemoaned what they had done to their brother, not realizing that he was Joseph and that he understood Hebrew. (laughs) He heard them declare how badly they felt about what they did. So now rubbing it in just wasn't in his heart. You know what? It won't be in your heart either. If the grace of God is having its intended effect in your heart, in your life, you'll actually want the opposite. Like Joseph, you'll actually want to make it easier for your offender, your abuser, the one who hurt you, to forgive themselves. One thing that gave rise to that desire was the way that Joseph had come to view the whole affair, everything that had happened. I mentioned this before, but it's truly incredible Number four, he views the offense as being allowed by God for good, for good. Verse 8, so it was not you, fellas, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Wow, Joseph believed in big God theology, didn't he? Some people think that theology doesn't matter much or that it's only the peculiar interest of nerdy professors who teach in seminaries. But Joseph would beg to differ. Theology matters deeply in your personal life and determines how you view the things that happen to you. I've said this before. Listen, more important than what happens to you is how you view what happens to you. Let me say that again. More important than the things that happen to you is how you see it, how you perceive it, how you view it, because that determines your responses, emotional responses, volitional responses, what you do. And your lenses, how you perceive life, is formed and shaped by your theology. Theology matters deeply in your life. If you are one who believes in the sovereignty of God over all things, How many of you believe that? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God over all things? If you do, then when stuff happens to you, especially the unpleasant stuff, you're going to find yourself probably a little upset, but in your clear-headed moments, you're going to find yourself thinking thoughts like this. I wonder what good God intends to bring out of this situation. I wonder how God is going to work to shape and mold my life more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ or how he's going to do that in the lives of others. That's where big God theology takes you. How big is God? Big enough. Big enough to believe in, big enough to be working in a thousand ways to accomplish his good purpose, big enough to change how we view the things that happened to us so that we can forgive the people who did us wrong because we realize that God was working all along through their evil choices to accomplish his good purposes. That was the effect of God's grace on Joseph. The result, he was able to honestly acknowledge both their responsibility, you sold me here, and God's sovereignty, God sent me here, both. God's amazing ability to use human sin for his glory. You know what? Having that view, having that perception of this whole thing, drained all the bitterness out of Joseph's heart. As a result, number five, it's interesting. He carefully protects his brothers from unnecessary humiliation. Now, he was in a position to pile it on and humiliate them. Instead, he protects them from that. You say, what do you mean? Well, Listen, verse 9. Here's what he says to his brothers after he reveals himself to them. Guys, hurry up and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, all that you have. And there I will provide for you. For there are yet five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Verse 13, you must tell my father, fellas, of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Now you gotta put yourself in the shoes of the brothers, okay? You're there kind of cowering before Joseph who just revealed himself that he is your brother. You're stunned. You realize this guy has a lot of power, you also realize you're going to have to go back home and talk to dad. And you are dreading that conversation. And (laughs) you know that dad, when you tell him, is certainly going to be overjoyed to find out that his son is alive. But you also know that dad's going to have some questions. Questions that you don't really want to answer. Guys... What about that bloody jacket you brought back to me, and that story you told me about the wild animal mauling Joseph, what was that all about? I mean, what really happened in that field out there, and how in the world did Joseph get down to Egypt? Nope. Well, uh, you see, it kinda went like this. They didn't want to have that conversation. They were dreading that. Joseph knew that. R.T. Kendall writes this. Joseph, knowing their guilt and dread, had already anticipated this problem and was a step ahead of his brothers. He knew that his forgiveness of what they had done would be utterly worthless to them if they had to tell the whole truth to their father. So he instructed them to tell their father the truth, That he, Joseph, was alive and well and had become the prime minister of Egypt. Indeed, he told them exactly what to say and what not to say. Lost my place here. His instructions were worded very carefully. It told their father of all the truth that he needed to know. Now you may think that the brothers should have confessed their sin to their dad. Really? Wouldn't that have given Jacob an even greater problem, having to struggle with the regret of all those lost years without Joseph and with deep bitterness against his other sons? So out of love for his dad and a forgiving heart towards his brothers, Joseph refrains from insisting that they tell dad everything. Tell him the truth, but you don't need to give him all the gory details. Here's what he needs to know. Tell him that. You know, often it's our desire to punish and penalize those who hurt us that leads us to want to arrange for the greatest possible humiliation of them, right? But a grace-changed heart will not seek for that. In fact, it will instead desire to protect them from being humiliated as much as the truth will allow. That's how you could know that you've forgiven someone from the heart. Well, one final expression of Joseph's forgiving heart. It's a very important one. Here it is. The grace of God having its effect in him provided both the desire and the power to renew the forgiveness promise for a lifetime, for the rest of his life. I don't know if you know this, but years later, the durability of Joseph's forgiveness would be tested. You probably know how this story played out. With the blessing of Pharaoh, Joseph arranged for his entire clan to be brought down and relocated to Egypt, to leave Canaan and come down and live in Egypt where there was food. Of course, that was all according to God's plan, right? They got to all be together for 17 years. They even got to settle down in one of Egypt's premier communities, Goshen. And we have a Goshen right here in Gehenna, right? Goshen Lane. But then, after those 17 years, Joseph's family would experience a great loss. Jacob, the patriarch, dad, Israel, was declining in health, growing quite old. Finally, he died of old age. And his passing gave rise to a fresh round of fear surging up within the hearts of the brothers. After a family trip back up to Canaan to lay their father to rest... Here's what it says in Genesis 50, verse 14. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Oh no! I added that. (laughs) It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. (laughs) Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And so now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. What is this? Well, the brothers start to panic because dad has died. And they're thinking Joseph's forgiveness was contingent upon Dad being alive and keeping Dad happy. Now Dad is gone. He's going to come and lower the boom on us. They still have not fully accepted grace. That's a problem many of us have. They still didn't fully trust that Joseph had completely forgiven them. So they decide to send an email to Joseph (laughs) telling him that while Dad was still alive, he said, after I'm gone, be nice to your other brothers. (laughs) And Joseph gets this message, and he reads it, and what does he do? He weeps. Whole lot of weeping going on in the story of Joseph. Why? I think his heart's broken. It's like, guys, you you think my forgiveness is based on trying to keep Dad happy, and once he's gone, I'm going to crush you? No. This is much deeper than that. This is a work of God's grace in my heart. Later, they show up actually at his office (laughs) and they fall at his feet and they say, we'll be your servants for the rest of your life. Just have mercy on us and let us live. Don't wipe us out. And his reply is so interesting. Verse 19, it's classic. Joseph said to them, do not fear. They were full of fear. Do not fear for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let me say this about forgiveness. True grace-fueled forgiveness is a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. It flows from a changed heart that's willing to renew that promise again and again and again and again again, 70 times 7. As often as is needed to keep the heart free from resentment. We all know our forgiveness can be tested, right? It can be tested. Especially when someone hurts us again, when it happens again. We can, we can bring it all back up in our minds and relive it all, rehearse it all again and get all stirred up about it. Some people say forgiving means forgetting. You've heard that, right? Forgive and forget. But you know what? I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that, at least not for us. Certainly God has the ability to erase His memory of our sins against Him and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, praise God. But you're not God. And neither am I. I don't know that we have the same ability to do that that God has. Some people beat themselves up. They think, well, I haven't forgotten, therefore I must not have forgotten. Forgiven? <laughs> I haven't forgotten, therefore I must not have forgiven. That's what I meant to say. I'm not sure you should hold yourself to that standard. Rather, forgiveness is a promise. It's a promise. By the grace of God at work in me, I will not continue to hold your offense against you. I will not keep rehearsing your offense in my imagination and stir up my anger all over again. I will not bring up the offense to you again or to others in order to penalize you. And by God's grace, I will seek to bless you in word, thought, prayer, and deed. Forgiveness is the heartfelt declaration fueled by the grace of God that I release you, my offender, from owing me anything. The debt is erased. I heard one pastor call it canceling the you owe me. Canceling it. When the issue comes up again, true forgiveness renews that promise again and again. Kendall writes, Total forgiveness is a lifelong commitment. You may need to practice it every single day of your life until you die. No one said it would be easy. What Joseph had first done 17 years before, he now renews again. It still holds good. He was prepared to care for his brothers indefinitely. He canceled the you owe me again and renewed his promise of ongoing forgiveness. There are two incredibly insightful statements he makes in verses 19 and 20 that gave him the perspective that enabled him to forgive his brothers. First he said, did you notice in verse 19, am I in the place of God? See where he says that? In effect saying, look guys, if I was to keep nursing this grudge and holding this grudge against you, I would be playing God. Because only God has the knowledge and power to be able to judge people accurately without becoming evil himself. But when I nurse a grudge against you and I hold on to that, I'm playing God. Tim Keller says, most of our problems as humans come from trying to sit in God's seat. And God's saying, get out of my chair. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Joseph refused to play God. And then he has this amazing statement. You meant it for evil, guys, but God meant it for good. That's amazing. Because here's how human beings think. Life is good means God is good. Life is bad means God is bad. Don't, Don't we default to that kind of thinking? But Joseph said, life sucked, but God is good. What? That is a mature mindset. Life was bad. I got sold. I got abandoned. I got mistreated. But God meant it all for good. I've learned I can trust him. I believe those mindsets fueled Joseph's ability to forgive. I don't know what I'm going to say for the next six minutes, okay? So you pray that I'll say what God wants me to say. i felt for a while that God was orchestrating this series on Joseph to bring us to this point right now. The time to forgive is now. If Joseph can forgive and release his brothers who abused him like they did, if Pastor Kevin can forgive and actually bless a criminal who stabbed him 37 times, if Jesus Christ can lay hanging on a cross with Roman soldiers, pounding stakes into his wrists and ankles and say, Father, forgive them. Then the Spirit of Jesus, who lives in you, if you know the Lord, can enable you to forgive the uncle who abused you, can enable you to forgive your ex-spouse for what they did to you, can enable you to forgive that parent who didn't parent you perfectly, can enable you to forgive that sibling, that brother or sister that you haven't spoken with in months or years ever since you had that falling out, can enable you to forgive that boss who overlooked you, promoted somebody else instead of you, can enable you to forgive that wayward son or daughter who didn't follow the path that you laid out for them, can enable you to forgive yourself For what you've done can enable you to forgive God when you've been charging him with treating you wrong all these years. The Bible motivation for forgiving other people, do you know what it is? It's the gospel. Forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's what it says. And Jesus told a story about it. I was trying to think of an analogy. What's a Lord? Give me an analogy to help the people understand what happens when we, we hold on to grudges and nurse them and remain unforgiving. And he's like, I already gave it to you. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's being in prison. When you and I hold on to bitterness and resentment towards the person who hurt us, we put not them in prison. We put ourselves in prison. Matthew 18, that's what Jesus said. Delivered to the tormentors. The Lord said this. Look, you owed God an unpayable debt of sin. Six billion dollars worth of sin. You could never pay that debt back. The only way you could pay it is to spend eternity in hell. And then God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and bleed and die to pay that sin debt that you have against God and he erased it. It was an unpayable debt. And then Jesus said, and you're going to turn around and grab the throat of a guy who owes you a few thousand bucks and say, pay me back now. Jesus said, That's something's wrong there. And my father will put you in the tormentor's prison. It's like being in prison. It's like being in shackles. It's like being confined. You're not free. When you're holding on to to resentment and anger against someone, you're not free, are you? Actually, you've given them the keys to your prison cell. They're like your jailer. They control you, your mood, your outlook. You're not free to like chase after God and pursue his calling on your life and the work that he's called and equipped you to do. You're not free, your heart's all bound up. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're not free, you're in shackles. And Jesus said, I came to set the prisoners free. back of your outline there's a little diagram it's 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 a you owe me <laughs> and there's a line there because there's somebody that you feel that about I know I for you I forgave them years ago right God gave us this story of Joseph in part to help us understand what full forgiveness looks like. If you're still wanting to punish and penalize them in your mind, if you're still wanting them to be humiliated for what they did to you or broadcast it to others, if you still want them to pay, if you don't want them to draw near to you, then you haven't fully forgiven them. That's the evidence of a heart touched and changed by grace. I want you to think about that person whose face is appearing in your mind, a parent, um, a boss, an ex-spouse, let me say that again, an ex-spouse, Amen. a child, a friend. that You thought you had something and that friend abandoned you and you're like, the time to forgive is now, it's today. The Lord's here. Do you sense him? His word's have been proclaimed. The Spirit of God is here. Jesus wants to take the sword of the Spirit and cut that tether and set you free. Break those shackles so that you can run free and chase after God and pursue his calling on your life and live your life with your heart now freed up because you've canceled the you owe me. Who is that person? Or is it yourself? Do you need to write your name on that line? I've never been able to forgive myself. Or maybe God. I thought my life was going to turn out such and such a way, and it hasn't, God. And your grudge is against him. Not a good place to be, by the way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? To think about this for a moment. Because I really do believe, and I've been praying all week, and others have as well, that this moment would result in freedom. That Jesus would come, crack open your shackles, let you out of debtor's prison by releasing that person from their obligation to you, by making the forgiveness promised to them by his grace. If you know who that person is, if God's shown you as I've been talking, who that person is that he's calling you to forgive, would you just look up at me? Just catch my eye. You know who it is? Okay. Good. I want to say a prayer for you right now in in this moment. Lord Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my God, you are amazing. Think about what you endured, what you went through to provide eternal salvation for us. To think that you canceled my debt of sin that I had accumulated, that I could never have paid. With the pounding of those hammers driving spikes into your body, you were paying my debt. Thank you my friends here today my brothers and sisters whom I love whom you love would you open their eyes to the enormity of the price that you paid to cancel out an unpayable debt and even in this moment right now would you divinely enable them to release the one who hurt them would you do that for them Maybe with someone, you just reach into their chest and yank out the bitterness, yank out, extract the resentment, and dissolve it where they go, I wanted to be mad at this person, but I can't anymore because the reason is gone. I know you do that. Would you give many in this room faith and courage to cancel the you owe me and make the forgiveness promise to that person that they've written down on that line today? I pray in your precious name. If Jesus has given you the ability today to forgive. I want you to just put a big X across that you owe me. Just cancel it. Symbolizing something that's happened in here. If you're struggling with this matter, if you need to, there's some barrier there breaking through to get through to that point of forgiveness, I would encourage you to come in a moment and visit with one of our prayer partners and just let them know that. Say, I'm struggling with this. There's, I know who it is, and I'm not able to get there. Let them pray over you. My prayer would be, before you walk out, you'll be free. Or maybe God is giving you this ability. Um, I would encourage you to share it with someone, e- even one of these folks. Just say, hey, God enable me to forgive someone today. All right? So let's take these next few moments before the Lord.